Second Samuel 23 really is about, it, it, it appears to me, and I've always believed it to be the case that these are David's last words. Um, there are going to be some things at the beginning of First Kings that he says, but um, it says right here at the beginning of Second Samuel uh, 23, these are the last words of David. So the beginning of First Kings, which is the next, um, or, uh, which is the next chapter, uh, though David says some other things, they are actually before this. It's not always a chronological order as you study through the Bible. And so um, uh, the beginning of First Kings really takes place prior to 2 Samuel 23. I mean, at this time, David is quite ill. Um, he uh, he is, is more or less uh, bedridden by this time. Uh, he, there is a woman, we'll find out more about her in a couple weeks. Her name is Abishag the Shunammite, um, who has uh, was sought out and, and brought to serve him uh, by sleeping at his feet every night. He never, um, he never uh, had sexual intercourse with her, but um, he was so cold um, all the time. In fact, uh, in, 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 uh, in January, for those of you who joined us for the parenting seminar, um, Gabor, remember Gabor? He's a kidney doctor. And uh, he was the speaker of our Tuesday night um, of our Tuesday night parenting seminar. And um, when I taught this years ago, this is God. I've had the privilege of teaching through the Old Testament once before. This is my second time. After I, I taught this the first time, he came up to me uh, and he said uh, that he really believes that David had some kind of kidney disease because uh, this is. Um, that this is uh, an indication, uh, and sometimes in, 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 in folks who are, are elderly and uh, close to their death because of kidney disease, they just can't get warm. They just cannot get warm. And that, we'll see it in a couple of weeks, that happened to David. But the reason I bring that up now, he's, uh, he's on his deathbed. Uh, he's not doing well. Uh, so much so that a woman um, needs to uh, basically sleep at his feet every night uh, to keep him warm. Uh, and uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, the, the Lord uh, comes and gives him some lucidity to, uh, to, to share some things right before he dies. Now, You've probably heard this before. There are few more precious and important times than to hear, uh, uh, than to uh, than to hear people's last words. These are David's last words, and uh, that's a that's a big deal. But let's get right into it right now. It says, "Now these are the last words of David." Uh, thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. 
Now, it could be that it's probably so that an edit, someone who's, who's editing the Bible um, actually wrote that first verse describing who David is. Many of you will see your quotation start at the beginning of verse 2, but uh, we, we, it's important for us to remember that, that David was the son of Jesse. Jesse was an unknown in Israel. No one knew who Jesse was, and David was the seventh son and so uh, he was an unknown. He was a keeper of the sheep. And uh, he was raised up on high, the anointing, uh, the anointing, the anointed of, of the God of Jacob. So uh, that word anointed, it's a, you hear a, sometimes a preacher, oh, that sermon was anointed. Really what it is, is, is the Holy Spirit came in and did a work through the preacher or through whoever uh, it, the, the, the anointing it's it's the um, uh, the idea is oil poured out on some an oil symbolizing the the holy holy spirit and he was anointed uh, with oil by the prophet samuel but it says here and the sweet psalmist of israel now you know it's 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 uh interesting that um you know he's a tremendous military commander he was uh the person who established israel as a nation I mean, it can hardly be said that um that saul uh that saul established israel as a nation because he was just dogged by uh the philistines and other enemies during his whole reign under David, the nation was given peace. Um, he was uh, just a tremendous warrior. We've been with him in, in, in First and Second Samuel, and the things that he did um, on the battlefield were um, out of control. I mean, he, he killed Goliath, but re remember when uh, Saul wanted to kill him, and he made him a commander of an army, and you know, sent him off and and, and uh, expecting him to die, but he would just win over and over again. And then one time Saul said, I'll give you my daughter if uh, you, you bring me back 100 foreskins of Philistines, and he got 200. He came back with 200. I mean, just an awesome warrior of God. So he's a, a tremendous military commander. He's tremendous king. He, he ruled justly. He expanded the kingdom of, er of Israel. He had wonderful relationships with a number of the uh, surrounding nations. In other words, he was a, a diplomat. He was a warrior, but he was also a man of peace, and he had good relationships. But on his deathbed here, how, what, what's the final description of him? In other words, what's really on his tombstone? The sweet psalmist of Israel. The sweet psalmist of Israel, supremely. Um, what he was known as was a man after God's own heart. And um, the expression of being after God's heart were the psalms. And so, I mean, it's incredible. You have this guy. Uh, uh, this is this is essentially what is written over his his tombstone. I mean, he he's many other things as well. Every other king after is is judged by his standard, the rightness of his standard. But he is known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Is that how you want to be known, Calvary Chapel? 
If you want to be known by the number of people that you brought to Christ, I hope you bring many to Christ, but I, I, I hope supremely that it's something else. It's, it's being a man or woman after God's own heart. Do you want to be known as someone who knew the Bible in and out? We'll talk more about that later. I hope, I hope so. But, but a far, far greater thing is to be a man or woman after God's, no, uh, God's own heart. Um, do you uh, want to be known as a, as a great preacher, as a great worship leader, as a great um, just worker in the church? All those things are wonderful things. But I got to tell you, there's nothing better than to be known as a man or woman after God's own heart, a man or woman who uh, was, a, was a psalmist. You know that when we pray, and so many times if you're in any of the Calvary Chapel prayer meetings, people are just praying scripture. And, 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 and essentially what they're doing is they're psalmists. They are psalmists. They, they are expressing their heart after God by, ex, uh, by expressing psalms. So more than any, anything else, brothers and sisters, that's what we, that's what we want to be known for. Uh, there's, there's so many other great things to be known, known for, but supremely, what an awesome um, title there. Um, it says in verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. And his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. And this is, this is what the Lord spoke to him in verse 3. He who rules over men must be just. Hmm. He who rules over men must be just. Oh, wow, you know, it, with it, in, all, in the midst of all the political clamor and whether you veer, you know, you lean towards the right or to, to the left. I mean, this, this is the Bible standard. This is God's standard. He who rules over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God. So important. Uh, you know what the, the biggest enemy of, of a politician is? The fear of man. <laughs> and politicians get into so much trouble um, fearing man. Uh, do you know what's the biggest um, problem with preachers? The fear of man. Uh, and, and then they wind up um, preaching what man wants to hear uh, when, when they have a fear of man. Do you know what the problem really um, of, of, of so many of us uh, supremely is it's, it's fearing men. Uh, we've been talking a lot on Sunday morning about faith. Well, the opposite of faith is fear. Well, the antidote for the fear of man is fearing God. Uh, you, can, you can be really scared of men, but if your fear of God outweighs your fear of man, you're going to be okay <laughs> because you're going to be thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I, I fear what man's going to do to me here if I, if I say this thing or do this course or confront this person or, or be this way. But I fear God more. 
I don't want to wind up in the belly of a whale like Jonah. I need to do what the Lord's telling me to do. And uh, so interesting here. It's, it's, it's in verse three, God's defining what a ruler should be. Number one, he must be just. Number two, he must fear God. And, and uh, listen, you're all leaders in your own right. You don't, so, so all of this applies to all of us. Every Christian, everyone who's called by God is, is a leader in their own right. Um, and, and saying, look, if you're going to be a leader, you got to be just, you got to be fair. You got to fear God. And then it says, and he shall be like the uh, light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Uh, so, he's, so what he's saying here is you put these two things together, someone who's fair and just, but so, also someone who, who fears the Lord. And the effect that you will have on people with those two things, being just and fearing God, is you'll, you'll be like the light of the morning when the, the sun rises. And the reason for that is, is because mostly all people know is people who are not just or there's some level of just below perfection, well below perfection. And they don't fear, and they fear man rather than fear God. And so when someone comes in and, and that person's you, when you come in and you fear God and you're just, you're going to be to people like the light of the morning when their sun rises. You are going to be like that. Um, a morning without clouds. I mean, is that just one of the most wonderful things in the world. I love going to my devotion time in the morning uh, or whenever I go when the sky is completely blue. It's just a wonderful thing. Um, I read some things before. I, I don't know if they're true. I'm not an expert, but, but uh, uh, the, the, there's, you know, there's something about blue that puts people at peace better than any other color. Yeah. I, I don't know. Don't, don't ask me where I heard that, but I just, God knew what he was doing when he made the sky blue. And, 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 um, and then it says, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth. So just refreshing. If you're just those two things, just and you fear God, you, you, you're, you're also refreshing to, to, to people. Um, you're like the light of the morning when the sun rises. You're a morning without clouds. And, and, and so uh, uh, a, wonderful, um, a wonderful description of someone really walking in the spirit. Uh, but I got to tell you, Calvary Chapel, uh, fear of man will, will spoil all of that. And you, you'll be like a morning covered with clouds. Um, if you're a man or woman, uh, who um, fears man to the people around you. You'll be like, you know, getting up in the morning, there's a complete 100% cloud cover. It's like, uh, I'm sorry, but that's how you're going to behave. If, if you fear man, you're going to be, 
you're going to be wobbly and going to the right or the left. You're going to be indecisive. You're going to be lying. You're going to be all kinds of nonsense. If you fear man, you're going to be obsessed about what you look like. Every single word um, you're going to be saying to please. And then you're going to have to say to one person, one thing uh, and, and then to another person, another why, because you fear man. But if you fear God, uh, you will be like the light of the morning when the sun rises in the morning without clouds, like tender grass by, uh, out of the earth by clear shining after rain. So that's just a wonderful, uh, wonderful description of the, of the, of the spirit-filled righteous life. Verse 5, although my house is not so. So David speaking here, he's at the very end of his life. Things are, things kind of are a mess, you know, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, killed her husband, Nathan the prophet came to him and said, the sword will never leave your, leave your house. And, uh, and it didn't, literally, until his dying breath, there was just fighting. And then, and then of course, right after he died, there was, uh, there was more fighting. Um, and so we'll see that again in the book of, uh, of first Kings, but I mean, uh, just right up to the very, very end of his life, there's warfare in his family. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm just so thankful uh, sitting here today that, um, uh, that uh, there's peace in my, my family. It's, it's a great thing that God blesses uh, the people with God with. Just, just having a wife and, 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 and I have five adult children and, and family get-togethers. There's just so much love and peace. And just to see my children loving on each other. I never knew that growing up because I didn't grow up in a Christian family and my brothers and I fought like cats and dogs uh, until uh, years after we left the home when, uh, when, we got, when we all got saved. By the time we, um, we all got saved in our, about in, in our uh, early 20s to mid-20s, and by the time we, were thir we, we reached our 30s, things were going really, really good. But today, they're wonderful. But, but uh, just uh, my own family and just the way God... God is, he's the Prince of Peace, and he loves peace, and, uh, but David didn't have it. He, uh, uh, just because of his behavior um, with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, but also never disciplining his sons, um, or at, well, it says that about one of his sons, but um, apparently that was the pattern of his life, and didn't want to get involved, and so uh, his, it says, my house is not so with God, but here's what's so awesome. Yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. And then I just love this verse. Ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Wow, it doesn't get better than this. I tell you, this guy is, uh, the sweet psalmist of, of, of Israel is really uh, knocking home runs out of the park, although they didn't know about baseball then. But uh, he's knocking home runs out of the park. I mean, this is just beautiful to me. I mean, this is this one verse is a sermon in itself. Uh, what he is saying here is that, you know, my life, um, essentially, there's a lot of disorder in my home. It's dysfunctional. My family's all fighting each other, right? 
Um, he had a daughter, Tamar, who was uh, living a, a life basically in seclusion because of her being raped by another one of his sons. I mean, it was a big mess. But he was a man after God's own heart. He understood the Lord. And most importantly, he understood grace. He says, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. Yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. And then he describes that covenant. He says, ordered in all things and secure, meaning it's certain. This everlasting covenant is certain. And it's an everlasting covenant of grace, uh, of the grace of God. He, him and his progeny, meaning his descendants, of being uh, treated by God in such a way that they didn't deserve, but because of the promise of God, it, the promise of God was in all things ordered and secure. And so he was actually be able to himself go to his death with peace, even though there was a lack of peace in his home because uh, he knew the grace of God. He knew um, he knew what was going to happen in the future. I was just talking to a brother in the last couple of days who uh, he, he made a, 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 a kind of a significant blunder at work, um, acted hastily with someone and got someone really angry and uh, realized uh, th then the whole thing escalated and he realized it it was not a good representation of Christ. And, and uh, you know, I just had to counsel him just, I mean, it's just like David. Um, he, he messes up really bad, um, but uh, he continues on in, in, in grace. And um, it does say that the enemies of God, Nathan told David that the enemies of God will blaspheme you for what you did. And for all of history, they've been, blaspheming David and what he did with um, Bathsheba and, Ur and Uriah. But before the Lord, he continued on. And uh, in spite of this significant blemish, and I shared with a brother a, a huge, huge blunder, a lack of, of um, uh, just completely blowing my Christian witness early on um, when I was out in the secular workforce. And there's nothing to do but to, to accept the grace of God. I just got to continue to go on because same reason I've been giving an everlasting covenant ordered and all things secure. That applies to every single one of you. You can, you have a covenant with God that is ordered and secure. You just need to move on. You say, well, uh, what is that covenant with God ordered and secure? Well, we spent a long time on Romans chapter eight and um, it's that chapter, uh, just got a note from a brother yesterday. He's he's memorized Romans chapter eight. Wow, what an awesome thing! Um, but here here here's an example of an everlasting covenant ordered and secure that applies to you. That you can no matter how bad you mess up, you can always get up and move forward with confidence. Romans chapter eight twenty nine says this. Actually, I'll start with yeah. No, just just Romans eight twenty nine. For whom God foreknew, that means you, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that means you, that he might be, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren, meaning God's going to continue his work with you. 
he who began a good work in you will complete it. Philippians 1 6. That is an everlasting covenant, ordered and secure. So, so David, though things were not going well, um, he, uh, he was able to die in peace. Why? Because he believed the promises of God. Verse 6 says, But the sons of rebellion shall be, all be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken by hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. And then apparently he breathes his last. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I don't know for sure, but the, the, he says these are the last words of David, and these are the last words. And the last words were uh, really a message um, that those who re rebel against the people of God those who rebel against um, the kingdom of God are going to lose at the hands of God. It, it says in verse six, it says they cannot be taken with hands. It, it's, it's, it's got, it, it's got to be a work of God. The, ne the verse, next verse says uh, the one who touches them must be armed with iron and, and, and spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. It really is alluding to a supernatural victory, a supernatural natural victory by the Lord. And um, I don't know, uh, you know, if someone's around David's bed and they, they listen to these words and, and then he dies, I, I, I think they're really powerful. The last words out of his mouth are, look, don't worry about the enemies of God. They cannot prevail. They cannot prevail. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Um, and so um, uh, David goes on now to the, what in the Old Testament was the bosom of Abraham. Uh, he he uh, went to the bosom of Abraham and uh, uh, to a place of peace. Um, and so I... Um, it's just a remarkable life. Now, again, and, and we're going to see uh, more of them even in chapter 24, because this is not chronological. Even chapter 24 uh, of uh, 2 Samuel, uh, David says some things, but those took place prior to chapter 23. Again, the Bible's not always written in chronological order. So in, in verse 8, uh, it begins this way. These are the names of the mighty men whom David uh, had. And uh, I'm going to switch Bibles here. I put, put, I was putting so many notes. I had to get another Bible because I ran out of note space. But um, David goes on to describe here um, all the men or, or the, the, the writer of second Samuel here at the end is, goes on to write all the men who uh, were part of, of David and the establishment of his kingdom. Uh, importantly, so he, he's going to list off these men, and there's some fascinating, uh, uh, fascinating descriptions of these men in the parallel account in First Chronicles. A lot of what is in First and Second Samuel uh, is also in First Chronicles. Uh, it, 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 uh, a lot of it is. Um, it's kind of like the gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's a lot of similarities, 
there's kind of a different angle and we're very, very thankful for both of them. But there is a parallel account of the mighty men of David in, in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And in verse 11, it says of these men, they strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom with all Israel to make him king. And so lest there be any doubt that David became king kind of on his own <laughs> without anyone's help, uh, it couldn't be further from the truth. I don't know how many, there's, you know, a lot of people are mentioned uh, in, these, uh, in, in this chapter. Um, a church is, you know, sometimes I, I am the most visual person in a church and uh, because I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the pastor of the church. And uh, I do think a huge problem, particularly in the evangelical church in the United States of America, there's way too much attention put on the senior pastor. Um, and uh, as a result, you know, you're, it's a huge danger. Among many other dangers, you're almost propping the, the man up for a fall. And we've had some, some major falls uh, uh, within the last couple of years of, uh, uh, of pastors and, and people of prominence in, in the Christian world. Uh, but it's also such a misrepresentation of the truth. I mean, uh, a church is comprised of, of, of many, many different people, all of, all of whom are indispensable to the work of God. I was just in this last week, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, speaking of the church, it, it, it says it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Ephesians 2.20. Jesus himself is the cornerstone, but then listen to this, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple of God, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. First, uh, first Peter also addresses this, that you, are, are, you all are living stones the, the idea is you're all being put together. Christ is the, the cornerstone, uh, but, you know, the pastor really is just one other stone. And uh, I, I have something in my prayer journal. Remember, Steve, you're just one other stone. That's all you are is, is one other stone. And, and so this is wonderful to get this recognition of all these other people who had a huge, huge, well, without which David never would have been king. We just read that in First Chronicles. And, uh, and Stephanie and I, just um, words can't describe just how thankful we are that many, 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 many men and women over the years who have come alongside of us and this mighty men, mighty women of God, and, and just so much work behind the scenes, unbelievable uh, and uh, this, is, uh, this is the description in the Bible of, of a church. It, 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 and in, in the Old Testament here, it's, it's, it's a description of, uh, of the kingdom that was established by God. It was a kingdom, uh, and, and the king was, was uh, just one person out of many, many people. Uh, but uh, we're going to begin a description of these uh, uh, of these 
of these men, I think it's very important to understand where they began. If, uh, I, I, I think it's <laughs> they were with David for a long time. And in First Samuel 22, verse 2, describes what they were like when they first came to David. Uh, it says they were in distress, in debt, and discontented. In distress, in debt, and discontented. And this is who the Lord gathered around David. And then again, we just read in First Chronicles that over the course of time, with David as their leader, and he was an outstanding leader, they strengthened themselves with him. So they became strong over time. It was a work of God, and um, it was who the Lord used to uh, establish his kingdom. So, verse 8, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. So, the first guy is, his name is Josheb Bashebeth. And uh, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains, he was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. So uh, it starts off with the most prominent of the uh, mighty men of David. David had really 600. When he became king, he had 600 mighty men. But uh, he, it starts off with the three of the mightiest. And uh, the, again, it's this guy, Josheb Bathshebeth. Now, it says he killed 800 men at one time. He himself did. So this was like a Samson thing. We don't hear a lot about this guy. Some of the other guys in this list we hear actually a fair amount about. Uh, but uh, we don't hear a lot about this guy, but he's listed first. And uh, David knew that he owed his kingdom to this man, among other mans. But 800 people, again, uh, we have been talking about faith on Sunday morning, the last three Sunday mornings. Without faith, it's impossible uh, to please God. And again, the enemy of faith, what? Fear. So on the one hand, you look at 800 men and it's just you. And fear says this is pointless. There's zero chance. Faith, and I, when I say faith, I'm always talking about faith in the living God. Faith in the living God says this, rather than saying this is pointless and I have zero chance, it's God has called me here. This is God's problem. So on one hand, it is pointless and this is zero chance. That's fear. That's the flesh. That's really the human condition apart from the Holy Spirit indwelling a man or woman. But faith says, God has called me here. This thing is God's problem. If I get annihilated in this, apparently it's because God wants me to. But, uh, you know, and so this, this guy, he's, he's a mighty man of faith, and, and he is uh, just a, an example of, of faith to us. And he's listed number one, 
as in David's mighty men. Uh, let's go to verse nine. It says, after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until the, his hand was uh, weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. And so, uh, again, this is, these are the three mighty men. Here's, of the three, here's number two, a guy named Eleazar. And a couple things that are so notable here. One, everyone retreated. And uh, I think, except him, he, he's, he, he, uh, he stood where he was and he, uh, he, he stood where he was and he, he stood his ground. And uh, apparently by him alone, maybe there were some, his armor bearer, maybe a few others were with us, a great victory. And then everyone who retreated came back only to plunder. So, I tell you, the downfall of many men and women uh, 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 in the church is, is, is they just see other Christians retreating in some area. Maybe it's an area of morality. Maybe it's an area of courage where uh, in evangelism or courage in prayer. And they see everyone else retreating. And they say, well, this is a church. These are the people of God. I guess I just retreat with them. No, not you. Don't you do that. Uh, you'll see this at Calvary Chapel in the city and, and every church. You'll see people retreating. Don't do it. Don't follow them. Say, well, they're in the Calvary Chapel in the city. This is a good church. I love these people. I'm sure you love them. I'm, I'm sure that there's other areas of strength that, 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 you, that you don't have, but don't you retreat. Stand your ground. And note here what he stood his ground with. Um, it says that in, he, he arose um, and his hand stuck to the sword. His hand stuck to the sword. And, and it says that his sword, um, his hand stuck to the sword uh, so much so that... Um, it was difficult to, for his hand to release the sword after the battle. So tightly was his grip. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I don't know if you're, I don't know, mowing the lawn for a long time and you have a real tight grip because it's really crazy ground. At the end, it's like, whoa, whoa what's up with my fingers? Well, uh, this guy uh, did a, a whole battle like that. And, uh, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So Christians... Uh, I love the Napoleon quote that I, that I quoted a few Sundays ago in church. You know, he said, Alexander the Great, Charlemagne the Great, and uh, Julius Caesar and me, uh, we created empires through force, but Jesus just uses love. And so the weapons of our warfare are supremely prayer, the word of God, and love. Those are our weapons. And uh, I think, 
you know, usually when you see other Christians retreating, you have to stand your ground. You got to remember it's the word of God that you need to follow. You need to, the, the, twice in the book of Hebrews and, and also in Ephesians, I, I think it's a, Hebrews 4 and Ephesians 6, the, the, the word uh, is, and, and a sword are associated with each other. In the Hebrews, it says that it's like a two-edged sword, the word. And, and, uh, and, and that's how we do battle. And, and, and the basis of our non-retreat, the basis of our standing ground is the word of God and what it says. And then we are, and then we attack by the sword. Bible says in Ephesians 6, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, uh, and, and I love connecting that to Romans chapter 8, which says, if by the flesh you put to death the deeds, if by the spirit, rather, if by the spirit, meaning the sword of the spirit, if by the sword of the spirit, you put to death the flesh, you will live. And, and, and so the word of God and, and uh, when the devil's lying to you, just remember the word of God and, and, and uttering the word of God and, and doing what the word of God is telling you to do, as well as, of course, prayer is the other weapon that we have it's 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 it you, you can't not have one and the other well i'm i'm not into the word i'm into prayer no 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 i'm i'm into prayer but not the word no 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 it's got to be both um but the product of both of those is always love so so the weapons of our warfare are not uh are not carnal but they're mighty in god to bring it down uh, strongholds as second corinthians says so prayer word which produces love and uh, don't retreat Calvary Chapel, uh, whatever it may be, don't retreat. And so uh, it says he won a mighty victory. And then it says the people returned after him only to plunder. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, you know what else wasn't fair? Um, when Jesus Christ, while you were an enemy, he went to the cross and uh, died for you, rose again, gave you salvation. And now you're plundering all the wonderful things that there is being a Christian. You're plundering the joy, as you should, and you're right. You're plundering the, the peace. Praise the Lord. You're, you're, you're plundering the, uh, uh, the abundant life, uh, all because of something Jesus did. You didn't do it, so don't complain uh, if everyone else retreats and you don't, and you stand your ground, and there's a great spiritual victory, and then others come to, to take the benefit of it. Hey, that's a privilege. You got to do what Jesus did. So anyway, um, verse 11. This is the third guy, the third of the, uh, uh, of the mighty men, the first three mighty men. There's, I think there's two groups of three, but this is the first and one group of three attained a greater greatness than the second group of three. And this is the, the greatest group of three. Verse 11, Shama, the son of Aji, the Hararite, I don't know if my pronunciations are right, the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. So again, here's everyone else retreating. Not this guy, not this mighty man. Verse 12, he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines so the Lord brought about a great victory. 
So this guy took his stand in a piece of ground full of lentils. So apparently it's not even a large piece of ground, but it was God's ground. Like I say all the time, we're small potatoes that uh, we may be small potatoes at Calvary Chapel in the city, but we're God's potatoes. And, and we, need to, uh, we need to stand our ground. And, and more than that, we need to get on the offensive. Uh, and, and so uh, you do have, you know, when there's an onslaught of, sa uh, of, of Satan in your life, Ephesians chapter six, three times it, it, um, it uses the word stand, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to do stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6, 11. verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand actually. So that's a fourth time in the evil day and having done all to stand next verse, verse 14, stand therefore. So uh, Watchman E has, uh, has a wonderful book called sit, walk, stand. We sit in the righteousness of who we are in Christ, believing all the promises of God. We, we walk. Uh, we don't stay sitting down doing nothing. We walk uh, according to how the, the good works that God has prepared for us in advance, Ephesians 2.10. Uh, but there are times where we just got to stand. There's like an onslaught of the, of the devil. We stand, we get into our prayer closet, and we, we cry out. And we stand against the devil. And so this guy just took his stand and it was, all it was was a field of barley. You know, I was in a counseling session last night and the man uh, who does not attend our church, but um, completely overcome with depression to the point of being dysfunctional. He's not able really to do anything, uh, go out of the house or anything. It takes the, uh, the greatest effort and, um, life is pointless and, uh, and, and, and no hope. And he is a Christian man. I've known him for many years. And uh, I just encouraged him uh, with this, that um, it's a similar thing. I, I didn't encourage him with this verse, but to me, a, a similar verse in the New Testament with the woman who uh, at Bethany breaking the alabaster jar, pouring out the um, the oil on Jesus, everyone criticizing her, saying what a waste. But um, uh, the, the, what I told this man is that, you know, uh, he, he had lost his job and um, he, he, he's married and has kids and, and things like that. And, um, and, and he's just seeing his whole life as being completely pointless. Well, guess what? Read Second uh, Samuel chapter 23, uh, verse... Uh, 11. Uh, your life is not pointless. Everyone else may say, see uh, a field of lentils. That's God's. You're God's field of lentils. And uh, he wants you. It, and, and it's of enormous, enormous value to him, to the Lord. It's the Lord's. It's not to be given up to anyone. When you fall into depression and discouragement, that's what you do. You're giving your, uh, your field of lentils over to the over to the Philistines, uh, and, and, and this guy refused to do it. Uh, he stationed himself, verse 12, and he defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Uh, and, and um, you know, it's, it's important, Christian, uh, Calvary Chapel, that uh, supremely, that, that, that the Lord has called 
you to the expansion of his kingdom. And he has given you a plot of land, but he's also, uh, he, he's, he's looking at you to, to station yourself there to, to defend it, to treat it as God's uh, field of barley. But then there's also just the, the, ex, the, the expansion of his kingdom involved in your life. And uh, it's, it's only when you, to, to expand the kingdom of God is all about looking around in the midst of circumstances that look impossible and saying, okay, this is pointless. There's zero chance, but God has called me here. This is God's problem. I just, he's only told me to walk. It's, it's a great, great, um, a great comfort to me that he hasn't called us. Uh, I, I get first Corinthians nine where it talks about, there's the, the, the metaphor of a marathon, but He's really supremely, he hasn't called us to run. He's just called us to walk, to, to walk. That's what, uh, uh, sit, walk, stand, that book by Watchman Nee. And it's, 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 a, it's an exposition of the book of Ephesians where in chapter two, it's about sitting in God's grace. Chapter, I believe it's four, walk in love. That may be five, but chapter six, it's, 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 but you're called to walk. And um, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, again, I've already quoted it, but verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. So uh, it, it's, it's a great comfort to me when I'm surrounded by very, very difficult circumstances just spiritual attack, someone coming against me or multiple people coming against me or whatever, God's just called me to walk, not run, walk. Um, there, there is the metaphor that Paul uses in other places about running, but that has more to do just with the concept of perseverance. But he's only called you to walk. You're not, you don't have to run forward. Just walk with him. Jesus walks with you. And, and so uh, uh, these three of the first great men. Verse 13 says, Then three of the 30 chiefs men, men went down at harvest time. And so now it's going to start talking about the, the next three men. Three of the uh, 30 chief men went down at the harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. Now, this is before David was king. This is during the time that he was being chased by the whole Israelite army under the command of Saul, who were trying to kill him, and they were hiding in caves. And at this cave is the cave of Adullam. And it says the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. So not only did they have Saul going after him. Uh, he also has the, the Philistines um, uh, were, were a problem too. And it's, this happened to David when he was on the run. He had to deal with Philistines. He had to deal with two enemies, the Philistines and with Saul. David was in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was in Bethlehem. So he was in some sort of cave somewhere. Verse 15, and David said with longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gates. So he was remembering his life as a little child. Remember, he was from 
Bethlehem. Uh, Jesus was the son of David, the descendant of David, born in Bethlehem as well. But David grew up in Bethlehem. He was a kid. He would run around. What do you do when you get hot? You go to that well in Bethlehem. And oh, wow, you pull up that water. And it was crystal clear. It was like sweet water. It was pure, just wonderful. And, you know, David's in uh, a kind of a, a he, really, he's in a discouraged place. There appears even to be some self-pity here. Oh, I just wish I was back when it was easy times and I could go to this gate and draw water. Well, what happens? Three of his guys, the second three mighty men, they go and, and, and get the water. It says in verse 16, so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. In verse 17, he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. And so um, it's going to go listing these, these three, naming these three mighty men. But yeah, when I first read this, probably the first several times I read this, is it kind of an odd scene? It's like, why doesn't the guy enjoy, enjoy this water? Uh, but the more I've grown in the Lord and my appreciation and my knowledge of the, uh, of the heart of God, it really does make sense. It really, really does that he gets this water. He didn't expect them to go. And then he, that the thought of, the thought of him uh, drinking and it's, it's like, who am I like a God or something? These guys just risked their life for me. And I'm going to take this water. Like I'm some demigod, you know, that's the, that's the leaders of the other nations. Um, they, they like the head of Egypt, the Babylonian Kings, they all made themselves deities. Um, I believe they did that in, uh, in Babylon as well as, as other countries, uh, other nations. And, and he's realizing that would be just such a, a misrepresentation of who I am. I am nothing but a servant of the living God. Only God deserves uh, that kind of treatment. So he pours it out to the Lord. He pours out this water to the Lord. And, and if you're like me, um, you, you always imagine these guys looking at it like, whoa, I, we just broke through the Philistine line. We just risked our lives. We wanted to bless them, but he's pouring it out. And uh, it may have taken them quite some time to realize uh, why David did that. Uh, but I think it's a beautiful demonstration of, uh, of how this man really viewed himself and how he viewed the Lord. And so, so, so different than the leaders of other nations at the time. And the leaders of actually of many, many leaders if not the vast majority in the world today of nations uh, who are there to be served rather than to serve. And so he pours out the water. Verse 18, now he, he names, uh, actually he's just going to name two of the three. And, that, and there's a reason I think that he only names two of the three. Verse 18 says, now Abishai, the brother of Joab, son of Zariah, was chief of another three, he lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among the three. Was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. 
However, he did not attain to the first three. So apparently it's now, when it says another three, th these are the names. There's, they named the first three in the beginning of the chapter, and now they're naming the second three, the, guy, the three guys who went to Bethlehem to the, to the well. And he lifted his spear, his spear against 300 men. And uh, I mean, wow, uh, not quite 800 men. Uh, like the, uh, the, the, the mighty Josheb Bashabeth. Um, but I got to tell you, 300 men, again, it's, it's like a Samson thing with both of, both of those incidences. Um, you don't kill 300 men without the spirit of God coming on you. And um, so that's Abishai. Remember Abishai is the guy when David was leaving Jerusalem. Absalom had taken over Jerusalem. David's leaving Jerusalem. That man named Shimei came out and was throwing stones at him and cursing him. And Abishai was the guy, let me take his head off. And David said, you know, stop it. Uh, it could be that God told him to curse me. And so um, he let him be. But um, was he not, verse 20, verse 19, was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. So the name of the second one was Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. So Benaiah killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And so, you know, when someone's walking by faith, well, actually, when someone's walking by fear and not by faith, um, they're just going to see an excuse not to perceive. You know, I... And this happens, by the way, I'll just give you one of many examples. When, when we hit the streets and uh, in evangelism, it's like, oh, wow, this guy has a lot of tattoos. I, I better stay away from him. Or, or you go by and, oh, here's, here's two people are together. I, I, I prefer just one. And, 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 and believe me, I got experience in this kind of mentality in my mind. That's usually when I go out, I just, I just try to talk to everybody. But uh, uh because I know my own propensity, but he could have said, well, this guy's down uh, in a pit and he's a lion-like hero. He's got hair all over him and, and, and he looks like a madman. Uh, I'm just going to let him down there in the pit. Some Maybe he'll die of starving. No, he jumps right down under the pit, but not only that, he could have used the fact that it was a snowy day. No, he goes down into the pit. So a man or woman of faith as the devil just is throwing fiery darts of doubt and no, no, don't go on. And this might be a problem that way. No, no snowy day pit. I don't care. I am going to go down and I am going to uh, uh, kill these Moabites. Verse 21, he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. So he went down to him with a staff wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and he killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name among three mighty men. He was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. 
So oddly, they don't name the third of the three of the three. They only name two of the three. And it is believed that the third is Joab. But Joab had done so many grievous things. He did so many wonderful things as head of David's army, but so many grievous uh, things. He, he killed uh, the head of uh, the army of, um, it was Ishbosheth, Saul's, uh, Saul's son, who had taken over for a while. Abner, the general Abner, Joab killed him in cold blood. And then Absalom's general, uh, Amasa, uh, he kills, Joab kills him in cold blood. And uh, he also killed Absalom against David's orders. And so uh, at the time of David's death and, and, and after a while, Joab doesn't have a whole lot of favor. So there's a gap here. Many scholars think it's Joab. Uh, in verse uh, 24, um, Asahel, who it says is a brother of, of, of Joab, and he was, um, he was uh, uh, killed uh, by Amasa, the general of Absalom's army. Um, but he, um, no, that's not who, he was killed by Abner, ra rather, uh, at the very beginning of, of, of David's reign. Remember, he was the guy who had the feet of the gazelle. He could run really, really fast. Um, he is listed here. And, and then you have um, others um, on this list. We don't have to go through um, every name on this list. There's some interesting little nuggets in verse 34. Um, Eliphalet, the son of Ashbi, the son of Machathite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the, the, uh, uh, the, the Gilanite. And, and so we know that Iliam was the father of Bathsheba. And so, um, uh, so uh, hence the reason Ahithophel, who was David's counselor, who betrayed him and went over to Absalom, uh, may uh, scholars believe, and we have every reason to believe, he had bitterness uh, against David because Bathsheba was his uh, granddaughter. And uh, then it goes on. The other one that's interesting here is just 39. The last one listed is Uriah the Hittite. He was um, a, a, a mighty man. And it, it really, uh, wow, you know, David really did have a, uh, a big time mistake. He had a big, big time mistake by killing Uriah the Hittite. He was one of the men who was responsible for making him king. Uh, and so certainly it's the case just to go back to where we started, which was, um, and I'll end here, uh, which was David's last words. He says, my house is not in order. That's true. But God has made me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure. And so, um, notwithstanding those terrible mistakes that he did, including with Uriah Hittite, he's one of his own mighty men who, 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 who's responsible for making him king. There's still an exceedingly abundant covenant of grace backing up everything that David did. And that's the God that we serve.